This is made for you by All Souls, a church in Seattle, Washington, seeking to be a community not just for ourselves, but a vibrant expression of who God is, gracious, present, hospitable. Take a moment now to come as you are and bring your attention to God. Uh, so good to be with you, all souls. Uh, um, I know that we've not yet had a chance to meet, uh, many of us, but I have had a chance to spend some time uh, with some of you already. Um, RJ and Carolyn were kind enough to host me at their house the other night and make food for us, and I got to sit with a, a dear few of you, and you're wonderful, uh, those of you I've had the chance to meet, and um, your city, arguably maybe even cooler than you are, uh, we have loved, <laughs> Josh and I, uh, getting the chance to, to be here, be with you, to be in Seattle has been a huge gift to us. Uh, so you probably don't know anything about me at all, and not that it matters, but just because you know we're going to spend some time... I hope, you know, with the Lord and in his word, maybe just a bit about me. So I'm Josh and I coming um, from Arkansas, where we've been for the last uh, year and a half or so, and before that, um, in Atlanta for 15 years. And so one of my ge- favorite things about maybe the church and this work that I get to do is coming um, to be with churches all over the country and um, all over the world and see what it looks like for you all to uh, love one another and serve the Lord together. And you got a really good thing going here. Uh, Seattle's pretty great, and um, it seems to me that uh, what you all are doing and how you're loving one another here at All Souls is a real gift. So Josh and I, super grateful to get to be here with you. It's an honor to get to stand in a place like this and just be in God's Word together. So I'm going to uh, pray for us, and then uh, RJ assigned to me James 1, which I really love. Uh, uh, I think maybe my first time getting to preach on James 1, so I'm thankful for that. So let's pray, and then we'll see what the Lord uh, might have for us. Uh, Holy Spirit, Lord, we bless you. We thank you, God, for the gift of the church, for our sacred space, and above all things, Jesus, for the promise of your presence here with us, where just two or three of us are gathered, Lord. And so we honor your presence here. And we ask you, Holy Spirit, for the gift of being able to hear Jesus and see Jesus. Pray, Lord, that you would have, God, the freedom that is rightly yours to do in our own lives and hearts whatever it is that needs to be done. That you would, God, um, work through your word, make it living and active for us here now. Bless this church, Lord. These are your people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Uh, So there's a lot going on in this uh, first chapter of James. And uh, sadly, I don't know sort of where you all have been um, in the lectionary or in your preaching series. At my church, Christ the King, which is an Anglican church in in the same diocese, we uh, preach from a slightly different lectionary. So um, I've not yet had the chance to be in James, and I guess I'm introducing it for you all today. So uh, this may be like, you know, a wild departure from things that you all have maybe been talking about here at All Souls. I hope, though, not from, you know... Orthodoxy, <laughs> and um, just the, what James intended for us to hear. So a little bit of, like, we're just going to jump right in, and I hope uh, that this will find you, like, wherever you are. This letter, of course, um, 
God, so brilliant and beautiful. James is, is doing a lot. It is, of course, for those of you familiar with it, um, an epistle, a letter that um, James wrote not just to the church in Jerusalem, but uh, to the 12 tribes, as he says, uh, the church with a capital C scattered uh, outside of Jerusalem uh, in all places. And um, I'm going to refer to him as James, but those of you who may be the Bible nerds among us, um, if... Uh, if you are here, and that is uh, rightly how you would describe yourself or others might describe you, um, you're in good company <laughs> and dearly beloved by the Lord, I think. So for, if you are a Bible nerd, and maybe you have heard this before, there's a bit of a translation issue with the name James, actually, um, in, in the Greek and uh, in Hebrew. Uh, his name actually presents in the original um, as uh, Yakovas in Greek, uh, as um, Jacob in Hebrew. I'm going to refer to him as James, but in case you're someone who studies this sort of thing and it like bothers you to hear me call him James because you're so connected to the original, I just want you to know I love you for that, and I hear you, and I feel you, and um, also we're just going to call him James. So uh, <laughs> um, James, this is the half-brother of Jesus. Uh, he was the first like uh, pastor um, and leader in the church in Jerusalem, and this really important congregation there, these uh, Messianic, these Christian Jews. So Jews who had come to be followers of Jesus and were uh, experiencing in Jerusalem, not surprisingly, probably a rather intense persecution. Christians, of course, that's not new to the New Testament. There's of a specific sort because, you know, they're in the city of David, they're in Jerusalem, and so they're undergoing a really intense persecution. James himself will end up, of course, being martyred and murdered for his faith. And so he writes this letter, not just to the church in Jerusalem, but to the church scattered abroad. And unlike Paul's letters, James isn't talking about any one issue specifically or to one congregation specifically, but more he's addressing Christians in general. And um, that makes it, it's a powerful letter. We don't have time, of course, to get into all the details, but he's going to do this sort of, it's a general word of like exhortation and encouragement. And he chooses to focus in on the experience. He begins the letter by saying, which we didn't read the first verse of it, but if we had, uh, the opening of James goes something like this. He says, consider it pure joy, brothers and sisters, when you experience trials of many kinds. You remember the verse? Uh, consider it pure joy, brothers and sisters, when you experience trials or hardships of many kinds. What a way to open a letter. <laughs> you know, Hello, church. I'm James. You should be delighted about all the hard stuff you're going through. And I've um, always been struck by what a bold um, way to begin a letter to the church, particularly to a church that he knows is experiencing like pretty intense um, persecution and some hardship. And so he's going to address this experience that he assumes, not because he knows these individual Christians or because even he's visited these individual churches, James is just going to assume by virtue of the fact that you are a follower of Jesus living in this world, you have experienced trials and hardships. It's a given for him. No matter where you are, no matter what, where you are living or kind of the particulars of what that trial or hardship might be, by virtue of the fact that you're a follower of Jesus, you are going through them. And I think that that's um, a kind of interesting assumption that he's making, actually. And he then says, not only are you very likely experiencing these hardships, but consider it pure joy when you go through them. But why is the question? Why, for James, would he say, consider it a joy when you experience these hardships, as he has? What is the purpose of them? And so I think that's sort of the first question that we are presented with. 
He goes on in the verses after that where we picked up, which is verse 16. He says, do not be deceived, church. Don't be fooled, Christians. Actually, what's happening to you is pure gift, all of it coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, from whom every good and perfect gift flows. So what might they be fooled by? What might be the source of the deception? What is he afraid that they're going to misunderstand? Raises a question. Well, I don't know about you, but for myself, whenever I go through some kind of like hardship or trial or difficulty or suffering, I usually, by default, um, want to assume one of two things, just by nature, because I'm human. If something bad happens, it's like one, maybe because I did something wrong, or it's because God is punishing me in some way, or because like I failed at something, you know? And I think that that's an easy temptation. And so it's curious to me, interesting to me, that here at the beginning, James wants to make sure that's the thing that might fool us, deceive us. Don't be fooled. Don't be deceived, church. The trials and hardships that you're going through, they're not bad. It's not because something bad is happening to you. It's not the source of punishment. It's not the result of your failure. It's not that the church is failing. It's not that the Lord is failing. Actually, consider it pure joy, not only because this is the way of Jesus, after all, we walk the way of the cross, but consider it pure joy because there is purpose in this trial. It's for something. God is doing something. And so here's the thing that I want to I say. I kind of like caveat, make sure that we hear both what James is saying and what he is not saying. What James is not saying is that the thing that is happening to you, the trial itself is good. And I think that that's important to note because I actually think that as Christian people, particularly maybe myself as a pastor, one of the most hurtful things that we can do when people are going through really hard things, when they're suffering, (laughs) um, is say, I know this is hard, but ultimately it's for your good. I know it feels bad, but really what's happening to you is actually good. Um, I don't know if anybody in the room has ever been through something that was really painful and hard and heard someone say that to you. Um, I have. And it's it's tough because you want to hear the truth in what they're saying. Like something about, you know, I think you're trying to like give me like a James word of encouragement. (laughs) which I want to receive. But here's the thing, y'all. Like, we just need to be able to say this emphatically as the people of God. Cancer is not good. It's not good. Death is not good. Uh, Jesus came to defeat the power of death and sin. I feel pretty sure that God doesn't love death (laughs) after having, like, gone through the Old and New Testaments. Death isn't good. Divorce isn't good. And there's, the reason that I, I say that is because there's a power in us being able to, as the people of God, we have to insist on dealing in reality. We have to know what's good and what's not good. So if cancer isn't good and death isn't good and divorce isn't good and, you know, we can go on down the line, then what is it that James is saying? That's what he's not saying. What is he saying? 
And here's what I think. I do think what James is saying is that even though the cancer isn't good and death isn't good and the suffering that you're going through, whatever is causing it, that in and of itself is not good. What God can do through you as you walk with him through that suffering, that can be good. Yes and amen. God's redemptive power through suffering, through trial, through hardship, that actually can be and is really, really good. Have you ever had the opportunity to walk alongside somebody who was going through a trial or through a hardship that should have been utterly and completely devastating by any standard? Like they would have been utterly justified had they just completely fallen apart or been bitterly angry. And yet they seem to have this like unexplainable, inexplicable peace. That's a powerful thing. To watch someone both grieve the devastation of their loss and be able to acknowledge that grief and tell you really honestly, this hurts. I don't know how I'm going to live through it, but I am going to live through it because Jesus lives and my hope is in him. And even when I can't see a way, he will make a way because that's who he is. Oh, that's so powerful because it's honest and real. It's true. So I think what James is saying, and I want to make sure we hear this, because this will be true. It was, then, it was true then, and it will be true now, even though, praise God, we live in 2023 in a very different place than they were in the first century in Jerusalem. The experience of Christians is different. But I promise you, if you walk faithfully with Jesus long enough, you will endure trials of various kinds, just like James said we would. And the reason that he says it, consider it pure joy when you do is because that hardship is an opportunity for God's purposes to be realized and manifest in your life. It doesn't mean I look forward to or relish in the suffering because I'm a human and I don't like it. I won't ever be able truly to be thankful that this bad thing is happening to me and I don't trust people who say that they are. Do you know what I'm saying? If you ever, and I, maybe this is just me by myself. But I've met people who like just lost their job and they're like, yeah, I mean, but you know, like God is good. And it's all going to be okay. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. God is good. It will all be okay. But you lost your job. Are you upset? You, it's okay for you to just acknowledge both to yourself and to other people that that isn't good. And here's the reason that I feel like that's so important is because Unless I myself am willing to feel some of the hurt and the grief, I don't ha there's no space for God to enter into. Do you know what I mean? It's when I'm willing to acknowledge this hurts me. I can't do this by myself. I'm grieving. I'm at the end of me. Until I am willing to say that, there's no space for Jesus to slot into and be Lord in a way that I cannot be. He hasn't called me to power through on my own. He's called me to admit my limits. Paul would say, when I am weak, he is strong. So consider it pure joy. The thing you're going through can be a means by which God's redemptive purposes can play out in your life. There can be purpose in this trial and in this suffering. So what is the purpose is a question I have for you. What are the purposes of God? That when we suffer, which by the way, verse 18, uh, somebody has it in front of you. Maybe let's read it together. 
If you, you can see it there, James 1.18, James says, he chose, God, to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. What does it mean? <laughs> Bible words, you gotta be careful. If we zone out, we miss what's going on. First fruits, what are they? It's an agricultural metaphor, of course, common in the Bible. First fruits is the bit of your harvest that you offered to God. In an ancient context, it made a lot of sense to them. It's like a tithe, you know, of my crop. When there's a harvest, I reserve this first fruits, the first of it, the best of it, and I offer that part to God. It's, in other words, the bit that gets offered up to God for a specific purpose. And now James is saying that actually the church is that. That God has sowed his word into the world, the word of truth, and we are the crop. We are the first fruits of that word. We are the bit reserved for specific purposes to be offered to God. So what are they? You're the first fruits of what? And this matters. It shapes the way that I go through the hard stuff. The Bible will say it over and over and over and over again, from Genesis all the way to Revelation, over and over, from Adam to Abraham to David to Moses to Jesus, Moses to David to Jesus, over and over again, the purposes of God are these. God wanted, insists on, having created a people and covenanting with them so that they might bear his image and bless the world by staying free from the power of sin. God is gonna say that over and over and over again. He has created himself a people and covenanted to bound those people by a covenant to himself that they might bear his image and bless the world by keeping ourselves free from the power of sin and death. Those are the purposes of God. Always has been, has been always will be. So. Listen to that again, said this way. God has bound you through a covenant, through a promise. Faith is this covenant from Israel all the way to the church. We have entered into this covenanted relationship with God. We are bound to him so that we might be free from sin and bless the world and bear his image. What a wild thing. Only in the church can we say something like, you are bound so that you might be free, and everybody go, yes, amen. <laughs> what does it mean? The perfect law that gives freedom, James says. How does a law give freedom? Because in the world that you and I live in, that's not how we think about freedom. Freedom to be really free is to live apart from the constraint of law and rule. To be free is to get to choose what I want to do, go where I want to go, live as I want to live, be the person I want, not to be bound by any law or bound to any God. And yet the New Testament, not just James, James isn't pulling this out of thin air, the New Testament, this gospel is going to come along and say, ah, oh, no, but if you really want to be free... You have to be bound to God. He is the source of our freedom. He's the only real freedom there's ever been.
Otherwise, we are bound to what? Ourselves, our sin, our fears, our anger. Here's the thing that I know about Christian freedom. Jesus came and gave you access to his spirit so that you could be bound to God. He could be tethered to him. Learn to keep his promises, his covenant. You would take them on your mind, your heart, live them out so that when you went through hard stuff, because you will, because the world's broken, not because you screwed something up or because God is mad at you, you'll go through hard stuff, you'll suffer because the world is broken, not because God wants it to be. He does not. His aim is to heal it, renew it, restore it, but it's broken for now. So you're going to go through hard stuff, and I'm going to go through hard stuff. And what it means to be free is to be able to go through something hard and do it the way that I want to do it, meaning the way I want to do it for Jesus' sake, to be able to do it the way Jesus did it. So for example, Christian freedom is to be the kind of free that when someone insults you, you actually are free enough within yourself to resist the instinct to insult them back. Because from the Lord's perspective, those who, when they are insulted, strike back with twice the fury, that gets celebrated in the world we live in. Have you noticed? Ooh, we love it. We love a smack back, you know? Oh, he really got him. One-upped him. Showmanship, we love it. And we celebrate it. But from the perspective of the kingdom of heaven, it's upside down. Actually, Jesus would say, oh no, that's not a person who deserves to be celebrated. That's a person who is enslaved to his anger and his ego. He can't resist the temptation to slap back. To be free in the way that Jesus is free is to go through persecution the kind, even to the degree that he experienced it, to be actually hurt and wounded and your instinct be not to retaliate but to pray and ask for forgiveness, what would that kind of freedom be? To be free enough to go through something like cancer, which is awful, but to be free enough to not be entirely bound up by my anxiety and my fear of dying. What would that be like? be able to live my life free from that kind of slavery. Anxiety is a master, y'all. Fear is a master. Anger is a master. Pride is a master as far as your Bible is concerned. And Jesus came to give us freedom from those things. And the way that we get free is sort of paradoxically to bind ourselves to this law this word of truth, these promises, this covenant of God so that you can be free. So the question for you and for me is this. Am I? Has this perfect law that Jesus came to give, this word of truth, am I bound to it in a way that has resulted in my freedom? Am I free in the way that I was created to be? Am I free in a first fruits kind of way? 
a new creation kind of way. Because when people are around that kind of freedom, I don't have to try to prove my faith to them. Do you know what I mean? I don't have to prove the resurrection. I don't have to prove the credibility of the Bible. I don't have to prove that my God is bigger and better than your God because this freedom sells itself. Amen? Your freedom, the spirit of God, it is gospel to people. You mean your life isn't bound up by fear and anxiety? What is that like? And here's the thing, the gift of the church, the reason James wrote his letter is not to condemn you if you as a follower of Jesus do live under that fear. It is to over and over preach gospel and good news over you to say you have access to the spirit of Jesus. He lives and as long as he lives and his spirit lives in you, you have the invitation, the opportunity to be free where the spirit of the Lord is. There is freedom. So we get to ask, What ways are we not free and what would it look like for us to become those people so that we can bless the world, bear his image, be who we were called to be? I don't know what that looks like for you individually. I don't know what it means for all souls, but that's my prayer for you in this city is that you would be like first fruits free and that you would do that by having like bound yourself to Jesus, to the word of his truth as a means of knowing what that kind of freedom is like. I'm going to pray for you, and then we'll do what it is that y'all do. (laughs) Uh, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would, Lord, gracious, present, be here, hospitable, be at work in our own lives and hearts so so that we might be free in the way you've called us to be. Uh, Jesus, I, I pray for my brothers and sisters that we would know you, Lord, in a way that gives us the courage we need to walk through the hardships that are in front of us. I pray that knowing you and loving you would make us people of peace. We could lay down our weapons, our anger, our hurt. And I pray over those of us, Lord, who came into a space like this carrying that weight or those weapons or burdened by fear, Will you now, Holy Spirit, speak a word of peace over us? Will you help us, Lord, to open up our hands so that we can take hold of you instead? We love you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.